0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's family research. State attorneys general
1: have sent a letter to President Biden warning him that unilateral actions taken by the EEOC and the Department of Education, quote, harms the rule of law and undermines the legitimacy of these executive agencies, end quote. The agencies are seeking to force schools and businesses to open up bathrooms, locker rooms, and showers to people, including children, based upon what gender they claim. But there's even more, and we'll talk about it in just a moment. On Friday, President Biden issued a series of executive orders the White House said was aimed at big tech. Here's a clip of what he had to say. Commits the federal government to full and aggressive enforcement of antitrust laws no more tolerance for abusive actions by monopolies but is it really just another power grab by the federal government we'll talk about it with craig Parshall, special counsel for the american center for law and justice and over the weekend former defense secretary leon panetta had this to say about the covid 19 vaccine and the military
2: i frankly think the president ought to issue an order requiring everybody in the military to get uh, a COVID-19 shot, period. Uh, it, it, that that's, a, that's an issue involving our national security.
1: And not everyone is snapping to attention at those words. Alabama Congressman Mo Brooks, a member of the House Armed Services Committee, is here with a different opinion. And you would think that officials overseeing public education could see the handwriting on the wall. Parents are not happy with classroom indoctrination and the radical policies they're pushing. But are they backing off? No, they're doubling down. Meg Kilgannon joins me with the latest in public education a little later here on Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on the free speech platform of Gab, it is at Tony underscore Perkins. And let me encourage you to uh, to download the stand firm app. That way you can stay informed and involved with what is happening in our nation's uh, capital and in state legislatures across the country. This way, not only can you listen to Washington watch, but when you need to take action, we'll send you alerts giving you the action steps, who you need to contact, what you need to say, what's at stake. Remember, our republic was made for participants, not spectators. So download the Stand Firm app, and uh, you can find out uh, more about what is happening. Okay, Um, 21 state attorneys general have uh, sent a letter to the Biden administration raising concerns about the executive orders that were issued during the month of June. Gay Pride Month, this is where uh, all the federal agencies got in line with the Biden agenda. And this was all based upon a Supreme Court decision, Bostock versus Clayton County. Now, just to refresh your memory, this was a very limited case that had to do with employment law and transgenderism, that you could not... um, fire or terminate someone uh, that was in this case a male who dressed like a female period that was it it did not go beyond that but the biden administration is interpreting this to go much further not only taking it beyond title 7 which is employment law but now applying it to title 9 which is the law regarding education, federal statutes regarding education, in particular, Title IX has long been, uh, is, uh, it covers women's sports, the fact that it gives women equal opportunities to go out there and play sports and be competitive, well, they have just torpedoed that, and here's the thing, the attorney generals are making, it, the attorneys general are making issue of this because they did not follow the law. Uh, here to talk more about this, Meg Kilgannon, uh, who is uh, our Senior Fellow for Education Studies here at the Family Research Council. She's gonna be back later in the program as well. But Meg, I, I wanna take this on, because this is pretty big news, that uh, almost half of the states are challenging these, these uh, directives that are coming from federal agencies.
3: It's really great news, frankly, Tony, because um, when the Department of Education issued its statement that's a gross misinterpretation of what Title IX means. Title IX uh, refers to sex, the biological sex. It doesn't have anything to do with gender identity or sexual orientation. It's to protect women and to give women the same opportunity as men in sports and in education. So this interpretation from the department is, is just wrong. It's, it's a gross overstep. So we're very grateful to the Attorney that the Attorneys General, that they have come forward and made the statement pointing out all the flaws in the reasoning from the Department of Education. Um, I have a letter in my office from the ACLU in Nebraska that is uh, threatening a school board with legal action if they don't create a policy based on the erroneous interpretation of Title IX that the Department of Education has put out. And so it is wonderful that these yeah. attorneys general are putting this statement out so that the school boards that do not want to go along with this policy have a reasonable defense. That's
1: a really, really good point because we've actually raised that before where, for instance, the IRS has put out this, and, and all, almost always when a federal agency puts out guidance, it's, it's very nebulous. It's uh, a very, there's just a lot of gray area. But it allows these other entities, for instance, under the IRS and churches, we've often seen the Freedom from Religion Foundation take this and exploit it uh, and intimidate churches with it. The same thing happening here in education. But the attorneys general say there are two key aspects that they take issue with over the separate guidance coming both from the Department of uh, Education and the EEOC. And here are the two issues that they take Uh, issue with that is in this technical assistance document which is what it's called one states that employers may not deny an employee equal access to a bathroom locker room or shower that corresponds to the uh, employees uh, declared gender now of course this is this we're talking now in the workplace we're not talking about the school schools so this is one of the issues but here's another one uh, that's of concern is that This states the use of a pronoun or a name that is inconsistent with the individual's gender identity could be considered harassment and open the business up to legal action by the federal government.
3: Right. This is, of course, just a a gross overstep, right? This is just a a ridiculous overreach on the part of the federal government to to regulate uh, people's speech, to regulate their behavior. And um, I'm very, very happy that the attorneys general are defending against that kind of uh, attempt.
1: Because the the court case that I made reference to earlier, the Bostock case, only dealt with the issue of employment termination for a transgender individual. It had nothing to do with showers and bathrooms. In fact, the court specifically did not go there. Also, they did not take up the issue of pronouns and uh, you know make believe names that uh, people would say because even the attorneys general made uh, the issue here that there are those out there now that have made up a host of pronouns that are quite frankly are insane (laughs) and and so will an employee or employer rather uh, be Liable and be potentially have legal action taken against them by the federal government if they don't play this make believe uh, and use these uh, made
0: up pronouns.
3: Well, I, I mean, it, it, it's it's you know you could argue that it's not that hard to go by they or them as opposed to he or she, but when you are making up entire words and vocabulary, zzer and all of these really literally made up pronouns, uh, it it seems uh, you know a bit much. Well, it's like a
1: minefield. Uh, which they're creating and again the bostock case held only that firing an employee because of the employee's sexual orientation or transgender status constitutes discrimination on the basis of sex under title seven they did not they did not address title IX at all which is what governs education so now the department of education is trying to take this bostock case without going through and, and you can speak to this because you yes. were in the Department of Education under right. the Trump administration, there is a process by which a federal agency changes rules. Correct. They're just doing this they're out of nothing.
3: This is their favorite play, the Dear Educator or the Dear Colleague letter. This is this is how they make they do government on the left. Um, instead of going through the rulemaking process and hearing public comment and and having the mediation that takes place at the Department of Education in the rulemaking process, they just by edict, send the dear colleague letter out and say, this is what you can do uh, and, and we expect you to follow these rules and they know that they have their echo chamber on the left right. in the form of the aclu and all of the other a- and groups the and the media who will go along with all of this and make it very difficult for people uh you know who disagree right uh and we're allowed to disagree now, now I, w- I would say
1: there's probably a lot in the education system like briar rabbit you know throw me into that briar right. patch yes uh they're they're happy to be sure. thrown into that, and this gives them they're the already excuse. doing it right yeah, right they're already but doing it. to your point earlier uh, we thank the Lord for attorney generals who are attorneys general who are willing to stand up and challenge us and so yes. uh, Folks, let me just i want to run down the states here that have attorneys uh, Attorney generals that are stepping forward. This was actually led by uh, Slattery Attorney General Slattery of Tennessee. We have Steve Marshall from Alabama uh, Alaska Attorney General Taylor uh, we have the Arizona Attorney General, we have the Arkansas Attorney General, we have the Georgia Attorney General, the Idaho Attorney General, uh, Indiana's Attorney General, Todd uh, Rokita, who has been on the program many times, Derek Schmidt, Attorney General of Kansas. Uh, we have uh, Daniel Cameron, Kentucky, uh, Jeff Landry, my home state of Louisiana, uh, Lynn Fitch, uh, Mississippi, uh, Attorney General Schmidt of Missouri, Uh, We've got uh, Montana, Nebraska, Ohio, Oklahoma, South Carolina, South Dakota, Texas, uh, and West Virginia. So if your attorney general from your state is not on this letter, you should ask them why. Uh, In fact, I'll try to get this letter posted uh, on my website so you can see it because they actually make a a really good analysis of these two uh, technical technical administrative letters that were sent that, as you say, just really confuse and intimidate right. and allow the left uh, to use this to beat up schools and businesses. Exactly,
3: exactly. And the, 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 the additional point I would make is if you're sitting on a school board in any one of those states and interest groups are, are bullying you into adopting a transgender policy that you don't want to adopt, you know that that, that attorney general has your back right and you can absolutely it's and legitimately ex- resist ex- extremely and
1: important that is extremely important And
3: even if you're in a state that's not on this list you can still point to this letter as a great reason for why the law isn't settled the science yeah. isn't settled around this issue and you don't have to do it right now just because the department of education yeah, that, that says is so. a
1: really good point on the attorney's general because that's why uh, George Soros and others funded a project to try to get uh, attorneys generals elected liberals right. so if you're in the state you this is an important post to fill especially now where you've got a federal government hostile to the Constitution the rule of law and your values you can count on your attorney general if he's good she To support you all right Meg don't go too far because you're coming back a little bit later in the program and folks don't go don't go away we're going to be talking about the president's power grab that he announced on Friday we're back after this
0: today moral relativism and political correctness are assaulting truth how can the world have hope when believers themselves aren't clear on the authority of the Bible THE CHURCH OF JESUS CHRIST ALWAYS FACES A TREMENDOUS TEMPTATION TO DEVIATE FROM THE WORD OF GOD. THE GOD WHO SPEAKS CLEARLY EXPRESSES GOD'S INTENT IN GIVING US HIS WORD AND THE RESPONSE THAT IS DEMANDED OF THOSE WHO HEAR. NOBODY EVER ENCOUNTERS GOD AND SAYS, THAT WAS BORING AND IRRELEVANT. WHEN PEOPLE SAY THAT ABOUT THE BIBLE, It just says to
1: me, they've not encountered the God of the Bible.
2: Our faith is rooted in history, and and consequently,
0: we need to use the evidence and never be afraid of it. The God Who Speaks is a feature-linked documentary from the American Family Association, which could bolster your confidence in the Word of God. Churches really need to see this, really need to understand what the Bible actually is. Available now at thegodwhospeaks.org. Here's a moment of Hope for Your Home with Jerry and Becky Drace. Keep your guard up. Have you ever said that to your children? Listen to Proverbs chapter 4, verse
1: 23. Guard your heart with all diligence. How can you guard your heart? Teach your children that when they place their trust in God, He provides them with a guard. He's called the Holy Spirit, who comes to live in them and encircles them to help lead them and guide them. The Holy Spirit will remind them to be careful of the words they say, the things they see, and the places they go. As a parent, you must also be careful that you check
3: the words you say and what your eyes look at and where your feet take you. By your example, your children are seeing, learning, and doing. Amazing how much like you they will become.
1: Make your goal to raise children with a heart that is guarded by God.
0: Learn more about the ministry of Jerry and Becky Drace, including evangelism with integrity, devotions, articles, and more at hopeforthehome.org
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us on this Monday afternoon. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Another another resource for you. Uh, I mentioned this last week, but I want to put it out there for you again. Uh, just recently, the Family Research Council launched our Center for Biblical Worldview, and we take a look at the issues from, guess what, a biblical worldview. We look at what the scripture has to say, chapter and verse. Now, This is not something we would necessarily put out on Capitol Hill when we debate these measures, but it is the foundation from which we debate. And we need to know the truth. We need to know the source of our authority. And so this is very helpful in having conversations in small groups and your Sunday school uh, classes, uh, great resource for pastors as you preach on these issues, which I hope you do. But if you'd like to uh, get plugged in with our Center for Biblical Worldview, Text the word worldview. That's one word, the word worldview to 67742. 67742, that's one word, worldview. And uh, just uh, you, for the uh, terms, the text terms and conditions in our privacy policy, visit frc.org slash text for uh, those policies. Okay. Uh, th- last Friday, interesting how things happen on Friday afternoons. But uh, Friday, President Biden signed a new sweeping executive order, according to the Wall Street Journal, quote, to encourage regulatory agencies such as the Federal Trade Commission to adopt adopt new rules and policies to rein in the growing size and power of large tech platforms, end quote. Now, that sounds good. It sounds like the things that we have been concerned about with the growing power of big tech. In fact, you recall last week, former President Trump announcing a lawsuit against uh, big tech, uh, Facebook, Twitter, for knocking him off. And so many other conservative voices. So, no question that immense power has been consolidated into the hands of big tech, which now uh, essentially are controlling access to the virtual public square. Now, I know they're private. Uh, So the First Amendment does not apply to them as it does to the government. I get that. But they are whole, I mean, they're acting as if they are the virtual public square. Plus, as we talked about last week, they have been given immunity from being sued. If, like, um, you know, if they don't allow someone in or they knock someone off, you can't take them to court. Because Congress has given them special standing, they have immunity. So anyway, uh, last week, Joe Biden, President Biden, on Friday, announces these executive orders. Um, but, but, is this? Is there something else here? Is this a power grab by the federal government? Uh, we're going to be um, Craig Parshall, who is uh, with. Um, let me see. He is with the Center for Law and Justice, and he is a constitutional uh, expert. In fact, he's been tracking these issues of uh, the First Amendment freedom for a long time. He was f- formerly with the, uh, the NRB. Uh, do we have our guest? Uh, I don't think we have. We're, I don't think we've connected with him just yet, but we're going to get him on uh, and look at what this executive order actually does. Does it rein in? the uh, these big tech companies or does it actually consolidate more power within the hands of the federal government uh, on friday uh... house uh... republican Whip steve Scalise uh... says that this is nothing ba- but a throwback to net neutrality and gives the government more control over the internet he also pointed out that this order lacks any type of teeth of enforcement and it's simply, uh, as I said, the government trying to take over the Internet. But, but something's got to be done. When you see how, uh, as, um, as Josh Hawley describes, these are the new barons of the 21st century, the robber barons, uh, who are picking winners and losers, and they're controlling speech. You know, it, it's, it's one thing to control the economy, which the robber barons did, Uh, and the turn of the 20th century. But now we have these big tech companies that are controlling your ability, my ability, to communicate. I mean, literally, this is how we communicate today on these uh, social media platforms. And if we can't have a conversation or it's just one side that is having access to the platforms, that's frightening. But so is the idea that the federal government would be controlling that platform. I don't want the federal government to control it either. I think the best approach is what had been proposed previously. In fact, Republicans put in that proposal, we talked about it last week, uh, to eliminate the immunity that the big tech companies have. That they would have to defend their actions in court just like anyone else if they silence someone or they prohibit access that they have to justify that by standing up in court that's uh, section uh, 230 that would be the best thing to do is just eliminate uh, that provision of the federal statute that gives them a free pass but again that's not what uh, Joe Biden, I don't think we're going to get uh, our guest uh, having problems connecting with him. So that is not the direction that uh, the Biden administration is, is going. So we'll continue to watch this. Uh, okay, I think we connected with him. Uh, Craig, welcome uh, to the program.
4: Thank you, Tony. Great uh, issue, important issue. Thanks for touching on it.
1: All right, so what does the Biden executive order actually do?
4: Well, uh, it's a broadsword rather than a scalpel. Let me just say this. Uh, Section 230 is a real problem for these big tech monopolies that are controlling online speech, particularly of conservatives. Uh, but this EO addresses so much more than that. As a matter of fact, it touches on healthcare platforms. It uh, talks about agriculture and cattle stockyards. It talks about the airline industry in terms of uh, reducing, increasing competition and uh, restricting monopolies. It has only a few lines about so-called online platforms, none by name, but we all know who the big uh, right. tech platforms hey, are that are pretty conservative.
1: Craig, we're, we're up against a break. Can you hold on just a second? I'm gonna come back and and, uh, and I, we'll, we'll try to wrap this up. Uh, but if you'll stick around there. Folks, you. stick around. We're gonna, I'm gonna let Craig uh, continue to, uh, to give us insight into what this executive order actually did and how it falls short of what needs to be done so don't go away more washington watch on the other side of this break
2: making the most of your money here's dan celia on american family radio
5: the most important number coming out this week is going to be small business index that is coming out tuesday morning And it's sitting at 99.6 remember anything under 100 shows pessimism in the outlook so hopefully it'll go up to 100 or better i think the odds of that are extremely slim and frankly if they do i'm going to be very very surprised we'll see what that looks like that's the most important number of the week consumer price index is right up there with it because this is an inflation gauge are we going to continue to see a rise in inflation yes no it's not transitory some of it is not all of it producer price index is one that we're going to watch very closely because that's going to indicate more inflation it's sitting at 0.8 percent i would expect it's probably going to stay the same since we had a pretty big number last month but It could go up, and I wouldn't be surprised. We also get retail sales numbers that are sitting right now for the month of June in negative territory. Hopefully, they'll go up a bit, and consumer sentiment numbers come out as well. So it's gonna be an important week. I think a lot of people are gonna be hanging their hat on some of this. And by the way... Guess what? We start earnings season. Earnings season starts at the end of this week. It'll be starting with the big banks, as it usually does. I'm sure their earnings will be pretty good. I think the entire earnings season is going to be very good. This quarter, next quarter, and possibly a little bit beyond that, is 2022 that we're going to be worried about. And I think by the end of the first quarter, we are likely to see a drift downward.
1: Want to hear more financial advice from Dan
2: Celia? Look for his podcast at AFR.net.
1: to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. So good to have you with us. Website tonyperkins.com. Craig Parshall, Special Counsel American Center for Law and Justice, my guest talking about uh, President Biden's uh, sweeping executive order that he issued on Friday dealing with big tech. All right, Craig, as we were coming into the break, you're talking about it's uh, it 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 goes after a lot more than big tech. But does it really address the issue that so many of us have concerns about with big tech?
4: No, no, absolutely bypasses that. It says uh, that the Federal Trade Commission is to consider uh, investigating and researching whether or not big tech companies like uh, Facebook, Twitter, Google, Apple, and Amazon, uh, the ones that are engaging in active conservative suppression of speech, something not mentioned in this EO, by the way uh, whether they are monopolistic in terms of uh, suppressing competition not suppressing free speech and that's the issue uh, yes they are anti-competitive uh, but more important than competition to the marketplace of products and services is the marketplace of ideas and this eo says nothing about the suppression of free speech by these handful of silicon giants
1: now, clarify for our audience, are uh, big tech companies like Facebook, Twitter, uh, they're not subject to the First Amendment?
4: Uh, as private businesses, they are. Uh, they are not. Uh, in other words, the First Amendment was designed to control the activities of government suppressing private speech rather than private companies' suppression uh, private speech. However, when you have a private company that uh, accumulates market dominance to the extent that these companies that I've mentioned have, then the Supreme Court says different rules apply if it really harms consumers. And I think there's nothing that harms consumers in this country more than freedom of being suppressed, particularly during political elections.
1: I mean, they, they have, by de facto, uh, they, they become the virtual public square i mean this is where people go to have conversations and they're choosing who gets in and who gets out and because of section uh, 230 no one can take issue with them. i mean you don't have any recourse
4: after case has been brought again as you know president trump is along against these giants himself but case after case the u.s district or even state courts, have kicked these cases out because Section 230 uh, They give almost against all lawsuits to these big tech monopolies, uh, and you can't get your day in court, uh, which is why Congress, which created the problem, uh, Intentionally, you know, 1996, look at where we were in the Internet compared to where we are now. These companies really didn't uh, exist the way they do now. Congress needs to fix this. Uh, But in the interim, if the president, uh, President Biden, is going to do anything, he needs to address the most precious commodity we've got, and that is not just competition in the marketplace, but the freedom of speech of individuals on these giant monopolistic uh, platforms that control so much speech. that as we know they can impact elections they can impact public opinion on a variety of issues because people aren't getting both sides
1: so craig partial is this just a power grab on behalf of the federal government with what joe biden did
4: yeah, if you look at what they are proposed back to the old obama days of uh, uh, net neutrality net neutrality was a way of controlling not these silicon valley giants but controlling the gatekeepers that get us on and off the Internet highway, Comcast, AT&T, you know, the big telecom company, or if you pay the price to get on, there's no proof they've ever discriminated viewpoints or opinions ever. Why would we regulate them, but ignore and continue to give a free pass to these big tech platforms, again, Facebook, Twitter, Google, Amazon, and
1: Apple? so a mic- misdiagnosis by the biden administration over what is the remedy for what is uh, ailing free speech in this country on these social media platforms
4: patients on the table and uh is a dangerous and the doctor is uh is looking at the wrong textbook and prescribing the wrong medication in
1: the wrong all right. Uh, Craig partial kind of broke up there on us on the end. Thanks so much for joining us as always great to talk with you. Thank you much. All right, so there you have it. Uh, there's a problem. But this is not the solution for uh, what is ailing free speech in this country when it comes to the social media platform. So th- this again is where uh, folks elections have consequences. Now, I don't want to be. Um, I don't want to be negative. I want to be, but I am going to be realistic. You you have to look at everything that's coming out of this administration with suspicion. And if they say they're addressing a problem, I mean, I, when I first saw this on Friday, I said, "Hey, maybe they're doing something." I did give them the benefit of the doubt until I read it. Then I realized, no, <laughs> they didn't fix it. They're not even close to fixing it. That's why we need a Congress. We need a Congress that will stand up for the Constitution and for the people and will pass reforms that, as Craig just stated, the Internet is a lot different than it was in 1996. I mean, it's not the same thing. I mean, how many of you remember that? I mean, I can remember it. I remember when I first got onto the Internet. Wow, the the World Wide Web, that's pretty fascinating. You know, dial-up. Well, it's not the same anymore, all right? Okay, don't go away. We're coming back. Uh, Mo Brooks joins us to talk about mandated vaccines for the military. That's what Leon Panetta called for over the weekend. Don't go away. We're back with more after this.
3: What is religious freedom and why should you care about it? both domestically and internationally. By definition, religious freedom is the freedom to hold religious beliefs of one's choice and to live according to those beliefs. At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a harrowing reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to mount in many regions of the world. God calls Christians to care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To learn more about this issue and what you can do to help, go to frc.org irf to check out Family Research Council's latest resources on international religious freedom.
6: On the next Encouragement Live, we'll talk with Mike Lindell, known as the My Pillow Guy.
1: Mike has a powerful testimony about personal victory over addiction. He's the founder of the Lindell Foundation, a nonprofit that helps addicts by providing treatments and other services. This is Don Hawkins inviting you to join us for a live and lively discussion with Mike Lindell this Saturday, 7.05 p.m. Central, 8.05 p.m. Eastern, here on American Family Radio. I'm Peter Rosenberger, and this is your Caregiver Minute. A while back, I visited a podiatrist who told me that the pain in my foot was caused by a bunion. Well, I knew I had a bunion, but that was on the other
0: side of my foot, and it really wasn't causing me pain. He said, the area of pain is not your problem. He also added, I'll bet your left knee hurts as well. You see, the deformity of the bunion throws off my walking gait and puts pressure on other parts of my foot and knee. Sometimes I feel like I have bunions of the heart, you know, that squeeze other areas of my life and cause pain and discomfort.
2: Although I often blame my challenges as a caregiver, are they really the problem that's pinching me? My podiatrist said that if I fix the bunion, I'll improve the foot and the
0: knee and walk more comfortably. I'm learning that when I deal with my heart and character issues,
2: I improve my quality of life and live more comfortably.
0: This has been your Caregiver Minute with Peter Rosenberger, brought to you by Standing with Hope, a ministry for the wounded and
2: those who care for them. There's more information at standingwithhope.com.
1: All right, welcome back, everybody. I'm Tony Perkins, and you're listening to Washington Watch. Uh, Yesterday on Greta Van Susteren's show, former Defense Secretary Leon Panetta was interviewed, and this is what he had to say about the military and the COVID-19 shot. Clip three, please.
2: I frankly think the president ought to issue an order requiring everybody in the military to get uh, a COVID-19 shot period. Uh, it, it, that That's a that's an issue involving our nationals in the military that are our warriors, uh, unable to respond to a mission because they've gotten COVID-19. There's no excuse for that. When I was in the Army, I got every shot required by the military, shots in both arms as well as everywhere else. There is no reason we should not require a COVID-19 shot. For everyone in the military,
1: Curry. and I don't want to tra- I don't want to go down this rabbit trail. But when I when I when I saw that, I thought, really, you know, I, what about those individuals that are getting the transgender hormones and surgeries that uh, are not able to um, be activated? They, they they can't. They're they're basically unable to do the job that they joined the military to do. What, uh, what would he say about that? Obviously nothing. Uh, but I, I don't want to go there. I'm going to talk about this mandate. In fact, an uh, order basically uh, appears to have been leaked guidance that tells the Department of Army, coming from the headquarters, telling Army units to be prepared for around September the 1st mandated vaccines for all service members. Joining me now to talk about this is a member of the House Armed Services Committee, Congressman Mo Brooks. Uh, He is a co-sponsor of HR 3860, which is a bill that would uh, prohibit any requirement that a member of the armed forces receive a vaccination against COVID-19. Congressman Brooks, welcome back to the program. My pleasure. So you heard uh, former Defense Secretary Leon Panetta saying it ought to be mandated right now.
6: I heard that, I respectfully disagree, keeping in mind that this is still designated an experimental vaccine. It's not received final approval from anybody. Certainly it's been distributed because of the risk associated with COVID-19 and the exigencies associated with that. Um, And I should also add that it's been pretty clear that there is a definite age difference in the effect of COVID-19. The older you are, the greater the risk. The younger you are, the lesser the risk. That's not to say there's no risk, but it is substantially lesser. And the people who are serving in our military are in that much lesser risk category because of their youth. So right now, as I see it, I very much prefer that our military personnel have the right to choose for themselves, exercise their free will, exercise their liberty, to decide for themselves which risk they want to accept. Do they want to accept the risk of COVID-19, which for their age bracket is a much lower risk than for older age brackets, or do they want to accept the risk of adverse consequences from a COVID-19 vaccine? I hope that they'll make the right decision, whatever that may be, but it ought to be their decision in as much as it is a life and death one.
1: You know, uh, Congressman, I I served in the Marine Corps, and I remember as Panetta made reference to, you you go through, you get all the shots, um, and you get them everywhere, but I got them a lot of places, Uh, Sore for a couple of days afterwards. But I don't recall ever when I was in the Marine Corps, I don't ever recall being mandated to get a flu uh, shot. Um, it was just the, uh, you know, the, the, the big vaccines that you had to get. And and I, I think we have to be reminded that this, this is not a vaccine. This is a shot. Um, isn't there a difference here?
6: Well, to me, I'm not sure if there's that much difference between an injection or something that you might take orally or through some other means. Uh, to me, the impact is on the human body and the risk associated with that impact versus the risk associated with the impact of catching the illness that is sought to be prevented. And under the circumstances uh, that we face and we see, uh, again, given that the COVID-19 vaccine is still considered to be in a trial stage, we ought to defer to our adult men and women in uniform the decision on which risk they want to accept for their own bodies and their own lives.
1: Now, it, it, to um, kind of unpack the fact that it is still under emergency application, it uh, is, as I understand it, um, the FDA, once the companies have filed all their documentation for final license application for these vaccines, the FDA takes about 60 days to review the applications for full approval. Now, uh, to my knowledge, according to the FDA, that's not been, uh, the, that documentation has not been filed yet. So what about this uh, leaked uh, order from the Army saying that be prepared for September the 1st for mandated vaccines? I don't see how they make that within the time frame in terms of it being uh, fully Licensed and authorized and not be operating under this emergency provi- provision?
6: Well, I find it disconcerting that the military would have this kind of order already drafted and ready to unleash, uh, particularly insofar as it relates to a vaccine that has not been thoroughly vetted and tested. Now, once it gets thoroughly vetted and tested, uh, that changes the dynamics a little bit. Uh, you still got the issue, though of the secondary effects, the adverse effects of taking the vaccine versus the risk associated with these youth of catching COVID-19. And I much prefer that we defer that to the liberty and freedom and good judgment of our military personnel, all of whom are adults. Right. And I believe that they are mature enough to be able to make that decision for themselves. I never like the heavy hand of government intervening. And then finally, I should add that COVID-19's threat in America has lessened considerably since, say, uh, a year ago this time. And I'm not going to say that we've totally defeated COVID-19. No, we have not. But the number of people who are catching it, way down compared to a year ago. The number of people who are dying from it, way down from a year ago. And still, if I recall correctly the average age of death for people who have purportedly died from COVID-19 is still well into the 70s, if not the lower 80s. It's somewhere in that very upper age uh, bracket. And that, that all tells me that we ought to defer to the sound judgment and discretion of our men and women in uniform who are already being asked to risk their lives on behalf of their country. And the question becomes, should we ask them to risk their lives on a vaccine that is still in the testing stage that has not received a final approval from anybody?
1: Right, and uh, not to to mention that the recovery rate is 98%, over 98% of those who uh, contract the virus. Uh, Mo Brooks, so good to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today. My pleasure. Congressman uh, Mo Brooks of uh, Alabama, member of the House Armed Services committee. All right, I want to go back to kind of where we started today's program, back to the topic of education. Uh, we were talking about the, the Biden administration pushing their radical transgender policy, you know, without uh, basically just a thin air, doing whatever the heck they want to do. Well, uh, they're not alone. Um, you would think that educators, these uh, officials in public education would see the handwriting on the wall with parents filling to overflow, school board meetings, uh, angry, pulling their kids out. I mean, there's been a big decline in public education numbers, and by the way, it needs to go further. Uh, Every God-fearing American needs to get their kids out of public schools because they're being indoctrinated by the left. Well, the latest is Chicago public schools are now offering condoms to kids 10 years and older. Joining me now with more details, Meg Kil- Kilgannon, uh, educa- Senior Fellow for Education here at the Family Research Council. Meg, thanks for sticking around. Um, just when you think you've seen it all, uh, right. we get more. I mean, here, here comes from the murder capital of the, of the, the country, Chicago, uh, gangland country, now 10-year-olds being given condoms. And I'm sure... I'm sure they're calling the parents first to ask them about
3: it. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure they're not actually doing that, unfortunately. Um, the, this, is, this story has just been one that it's like an onion when you're peeling back the layers to try to figure out what's going on based on the media reports. The documentation that was available on the websites is uh, not available anymore about the actual policy. So um, going on the news reports that I've seen, the condoms will be available to ages 10 and up. So I don't know if that means vending machines in the bathroom or you have to actually ask the school nurse for a condom. Uh, But if I were a school nurse who was asked by a 10-year-old for a condom, um, I don't think I would hand that child one. I would be investigating why in the world a 10-year-old is uh, thinking that they need a condom (laughs) what what is going on in the life of that child Uh, that's just not a world that i want to live in i reject the entire premise of this
1: (laughs) so this is a policy adopted by the chicago public school board of education schools and i quote quote must maintain a condom availability program for grades 5 and up to protect against sexually transmitted diseases including HIV infections and unintended pregnancies. Uh, So each elementary school will be allotted 250 condoms uh, to start with. It's kind of a, you know, I guess that's a starter program. Uh, High schools will receive a thousand. I, I thought our kid. I thought our kids went to school to learn how to read and write, yes. uh, and do math. And, and the
3: in fifth grade, I was m- cross multiplying fractions, I think, and and doing some uh, verb new verb forms <laughs> in in English class. This is it did not involve anything like this. Um, the, the, the issue, too, is, is such a problem when adults make policies that make adults feel like they're doing something right. and completely ignore the needs of children. If, if there's, a, if there's a, an issue with um, a rise in sexually transmitted diseases in the 10 to 11 age cohort, um, you should not expect that a 10 or 11-year-old is going to be able to use a condom in a way that would prevent sexually transmitted diseases. That's a ridiculous premise that is just ridiculous thinking children are being victimized if they are having sex at that age and we should be as adults intervening on their behalf to stop the victimization
1: well you know i not to get again i like to chase rabbits but this is one where you look at what we did over the last year and a half because of a virus we shut down schools We closed down, uh, you know, classrooms. We we closed down the economy, made everybody wear a mask. You know, we were just talking about making everybody get vaccinated. Social
3: distancing. Uh, You know,
1: stay away, stay away. But we can't tell kids that they're not to engage in uh, challenge them at least not to do this, but rather we give them the accoutrements, the equipment to engage in it.
3: In in behavior that is unhealthy, it is dangerous. It is damaging, you know, they're just, Yeah. So,
1: Meg, this is just one example of other things that are happening in public education. To me, it looks like, and I know this stuff's been going on, so it's not like we're just now discovering it, but it just looks like they've gone
0: crazy.
3: Well, especially in the area of sex ed and making contraceptives available at school and talking about um, really... uh, beyond the pale topics in sex ed—that's been going on for a number of years. But it's and
1: like it's it's on steroids. It's, now.
3: it's it's now it's some for some reason, and thanks be to God, it's being exposed. But right? it, So could, we can
1: it, could it also be accelerating because they feel like they have the the cover of a Biden administration that has made this a top priority? Well,
3: I I don't imagine the Secretary of Education is going to intervene and ask them why they're doing this, right? Right. He's going to say. Yes, please let's have some more. So um, this is this is absolutely the case that, that they all cover each other, right? They right. they one leads one thing leads to the next and they know that they won't be questioned by the media, they won't be questioned by groups on right. the left, they'll be hailed as being culturally responsible. So
1: earlier we talked about the role that the state attorney generals are playing mm-hmm. in in the issue of Title Seven and Title Nine. This is something parents have to get
3: involved in. Yes, parents must get involved. Parents in Chicago should absolutely re- reject this as an option and demand that it stop. Um, is, school is is uh, is compulsory, and the idea that, that this would be included on the list of things <laughs> that parents are compelled to tolerate is but ridiculous. But don't think
1: it's isolated to Chicago. No, that's Every right. Every parent ought to be asking questions uh, and we've got some resources available for parents to to help the yes. probing process to find out what's going on.
3: Yes, we do. We have a great pamphlet on sex education in public schools that's available on our website. Um, we have uh, you can send us an email at uh, tipline at FRC and if you have something you want to report to us, we get reports right. about the Chicago public school sex ed from time to time. Um, and, and it's not just, you know, fifth graders. It's bad all the way up.
1: Okay. All right, Meg, we're going to have to leave it there. We're out of time for today, but uh, you'll be back Friday. We'll talk more about uh, education Looking issues on Friday. So, folks, tune in for that. In the meantime, check out the website, TonyPerkins.com. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul, found in Ephesians 6 where he says, when you've done everything you can do when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you have taken your stand. By all means, keep standing.
0: Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council